Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. So for this hour, I'm going to blow up the normal rules of talk radio. And instead of being the know-it-all talk show host here, I'm inviting Dr. Justin Frank, a regular guest and friend of the show, to be on our program to take your calls and answer your questions. We're entering a very, very interesting time. Uh, First of all, Dr. Justin Frank is the psychoanalyst and clinical professor at the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Science at George Washington University. He is the author of Trump on the Couch, Obama on the Couch, Bush on the Couch. We'll see if he does Biden on the Couch. I don't know. His Twitter handle is JustinFrankMD, spelled just exactly like it sounds. First of all, Dr. Frank, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for joining us and for taking this hour to answer people's questions. March 10th of last year was the last time Louise and I were out of the house in some place other than where we had to go to get vaccinated. In fact, it was her birthday party. We had family and friends over and that was it. It's been over a year now. And yesterday, uh, day before yesterday, we had one of our kids and her partner, her wife and their kids and, and her wife's parents and a whole bunch of people over here at the house and we're all vaccinated but i was still like really nervous i was just like neurotic about it i think all of us you know need some hand holding maybe is the wrong phrase but you know would like to hear from a professional like yourself about how do we deal with things like the fear of going back into the office or of going back to school or dining in a restaurant or going to a movie theater or the grocery store or crowded spaces or family coming over or getting on an airplane again or, or you know, how do we get back to normal or, or how have we recalibrated our understanding of just like normal stuff, like giving people hugs when you see them, you know? Where do we begin with all that? And if you have some thoughts on that, and then, and then of course, uh, as people call in, I'll put them on the air with you and they can ask you very specific questions. But what's your sense of where we're at, what we've lost, what kind of trauma we've experienced and how we need to recover from it, sir? Well, we're at a place where there has been a shared trauma that I think has been shared by more people than shared the Trump or the fear of Biden. I think, and that's the fear of COVID. And how we've been indoors for a year or more, I think, contributes to that fear. And so 
There's what's called traditional psychiatry. We talk about PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. This is really uh, related to that, which is anxiety about being afraid again. First of all, there's fear of fear. So I think that when you regroup with your family, Tom, it's like there's a fear that somebody's going to get sick and you're almost afraid of being afraid. And the problem with fear is that it interferes with thinking very often and can cause paralysis of action and behavior. As we know, thinking is basically trial action. So you need to think and then to... But I think the biggest thing is there's two terms that have come out of this pandemic that have influenced me. One is called decision fatigue, which I really like, which is a concept that has been advanced in the last few months about people who have so many things to think about and too many things to decide that they don't know which to do first. So like when you have your family over, do you clean everything up? Does everybody wear masks indoors? I mean, what are you going to do? And how close will you get and will you hug? And the second one really has to do with the fact that there really is a COVID anxiety disorder, which is the thing that we're all suffering from. And I think that that's been described more in Great Britain than in here as, as a specific term, but I like that term also. So I think that there are universal fears and anxieties. The thing about fear is that it can be paralyzing. At the same time, getting sick and getting COVID is a real cause of anxiety. Now, one of the things that has happened in the past, in terms of large groups, which America really is, even though we have lots of differences and lots of polarized situations, there's a large group phenomenon that is a shared fear of going wrong, of some kind of invasion. That's what Trump tapped into when he talked about Mexican rapists in 2015. So I think that we've had an experience of shared fears. And then the uh, liberals have been afraid of Trump destroying the Constitution. Chris Christie yesterday on TV talked about a fear of socialism if taxes, corporate taxes are raised. So fear is one of the things that's part of our, in our blood. And the fear is of invasion of some kind of enemy. Treatment for any kind of bacterial invasion is vaccination or reducing exposure. So the more we are vaccinated, the less we are going to be afraid of invasion in terms of literally afraid. And I think that right now, I think Americans are vaccinated. If you're vaccinated, then there's lots of questions about that. Do you wear a mask? What do you do? And there's all kinds of differences of opinion. Howard in New York City. One of the great problems we have are the 53 million people that have been brainwashed to believe the big lie. That's a result of Rupert Murdoch, $3 billion he spent on all the airwaves and the social network. How could we possibly reverse that without getting the same volume on the airwaves and spending the same money to try and reverse some of it? That is one of the best questions ever, because there are networks that are focused on brainwashing versus trying to talk about science and allay people's fears. And I think that it's very hard. The most important thing to do, unfortunately, is we have to act on an individual basis within our own families and friends 
who are among those 53 million brainwashed people. And that's really listening to them. That, in my view, listening is the new talking. And it's important to pay attention to what their fears are. My view is we have to move from make American great again to MANA and make American normal again. And the question is, what is normal? But we have to move to a place where we're not so afraid of interacting with each other. The problem is so many people from the Murdoch group, anti-maskers, they're anti-vaxxers, some of them, and they really are uh, very, very angry and suspicious. And I think the problem how to help people allay their suspicions. And the best way is to ask them what they're afraid of and why, why they don't like you or why they don't, what they're afraid of me about. And that's not on national media. That's an individual process. Sean in Stamford, Connecticut, you are on the air with Dr. Justin Frank. I happen to have a psych background, so this topic fascinates me. And when the uh, pandemic first came about, a year or so ago, I realized that we're going to see a new kind of mental health condition that encompasses paranoia, germophobia, and agoraphobia. And I wonder what your thoughts are on that, because it seems to be happening as we speak. The question is very important, because I had actually a patient who told me after Trump was elected in 2016, the day after said to me on the phone, because I was in uh, D.C. and and this person was in New York City, that they were afraid to go outside because they couldn't tell who voted for Trump and who didn't, because people looked the same. And there was such fear right away. So I think that fear exists on both sides. And the problem is, that's one of the things that has really kind of impeded people's growth and development psychologically as individuals and as a group. So I think you're right. There's going to be a new syndrome that we have to deal with. And that syndrome, which we haven't really described yet, is about not knowing what to believe and what to think. One of the things that Trump said that was very dangerous and disturbing was, don't believe what you see. It may not be true. And of course, we can't see this virus. And so don't believe what you see when a person is wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. And we're afraid that other people haven't been vaccinated when they say they have. I have just started seeing patients in my office for the first time in over a year. And I see very few of them, and only the ones who've been vaccinated, and we sit far apart. But I have to tell you, I'm as anxious about doing this again, even though I couldn't stand remote psychotherapy. I think the syndrome is going to be one of mutual fear, mutual suspicion, almost like finding a way to talk to people when you can recognize the fear that you have, but also the fear in the other person. So one of the things that's important to be able to do is to be able to say, hi, I'm scared too, or hi, how are you doing? I'm like, the first question you asked me before you asked your question was, how am I doing? That's a great thing to ask for people. And you want to do that to allay some of their fears and their suspicions. But I think we're going to see a whole new kind of syndrome of people who have reactivated OCD, obsessional compulsive disorder, people who are going to be obsessed with hygiene, and people who are going to do all those kinds of things. And we need to just be patient. Some of them need professional help, but a lot of them are really in trouble, and they can 
kind of spread that anxiety in the workplace and at home. I think there's parental fears, too, about what do you do with unvaccinated children who come home from school when you've been vaccinated. I mean, there's all kinds of levels of fear. I don't think we're ready to describe a particular syndrome. James in Spokane, Washington. You're on the air with Dr. Frank. I have to say this. I know a little bit about Freud's teachings and a little about Jung's, and I'm on board for most of it, honest to goodness. Jung said it best when he said we're all recovering children. It seems human nature is that at this point throughout history, we're very neurotic. The people that percolate to the top, unfortunately, tend to be the psychotics. You know, if we don't own the fact that we're mentally ill, it's like anything else. We're not going to make any headway in changing anything at all if we're going to be in the mad little monkeys we are and not owning it individually. What do you think? I'm worried about what we do about ourselves. I think what you started out saying is what about the fact that we all have certain things in common with other people, that we all have some form of psychological conflict, what you call mental illnesses. I was trained as a therapist in Boston where psychotherapy was defined by my main mentor as a big mess taking care of a bigger mess. So that's important to bear in mind. And I think that the people who point fingers, even us at the billionaires or the billionaires at us, need to look inside about what it is that we're denying in ourselves, what it is that we're pointing fingers about and how that reflects ourselves. I think that the healthy solution is to really understand that you need to really look at yourselves So then when you hear Chris Christie, like yesterday, saying that corporate tax is going to bring us socialism, that is something that you need to address, because that is fanning the flames of fear and paranoid anxiety. And that's used in order to control other people and to keep other people from speaking. But it's also used by billionaires to keep their money because they don't want to let go of it now that they've got it. And that was the reason why Trump was so popular with wealthy people in the first place, because of his attitude towards regulation and his dramatic lowering of taxes. I think that we need, though, to recognize ourselves so we'll be able to listen better to other people and look at what we have in common. But I do think action is needed, and we do need to face the facts that there are lots of people who are not really interested in democracy. To Young's comment that we're all recovering children, is that a, yeah. an entry point for conversation with others? Not explicitly, yes, but I think implicitly? It, I think it's the issue is to be able to say we're all recovering children and to say I'm one of them. These are the Mm -hmm. things from my childhood, because if we just say you're a recovering child, even though you say we're all, you don't then start and say, well, tell me why you're a recovering child. I want to talk about the nature of my recovering child, my fear of the dark or whatever it was, and that there are certain things that are real that we share. Mary, in Eureka, California, you are on the air with Dr. Frank. Why do we have so many in this denial, maybe in the millions, the numbers? And number two, I'm 90 years old. I've never seen a time when governors and political leaders are so divided on a medical issue. It is medical, and it's very much about 
there has been a long fear in this country of invasion. I don't know how else to say it, but we have a shared unconscious fantasy, all of us as a group, that is related to almost a paranoid fear of some form of invasion. And so people in the 60s and 50s, really, under McCarthy, were afraid of communist invasion. They were going to come. We used to have humorists who were very funny. They say, oh, my God, there's a communist. They're crawling up my leg. What am I going to do? They're going to kill me. I mean, this is like people would make fun of it. But there were a whole group of people who were terrified. And I think that that has persisted to the present day in different forms, usually some kind of attack like Nazi Germany, temporarily unites us when we fought against Germany and Japan in World War II. But we got divided very quickly within a few years by Joe McCarthy. It's happening again. And the COVID is a very scary thing because people really are science deniers. The other reason for it, if you want to talk about it, thinking about it, is that if you have a fixed idea, Your fixed idea, the purpose of a fixed idea is to protect you from anxiety, protect you from worry, protect you from fear. So the fixed idea is that some politicians are liars, that governments, governors are liars if they're saying a certain thing. So what you have when you have a fixed idea is you become closed to anything else. So somebody who wears a mask makes you anxious. Somebody who doesn't wear a mask makes other people anxious. We have a fixed idea. And one of the problems with fixed ideas is it does not tolerate complexity, variability, variety. So when somebody is not wearing a mask, I immediately might assume, oh, that person's a racist, that person's a this, that person's a that. And they may not be. All those are assumptions that you make because one weird thing that somebody does makes all of your certainty go up in smoke. And certainty has been a defense against anxiety. James in Lakewood, Washington, you're on with Dr. Frank. You wrote the series on On the Couch Books, one with Junior Bush. And I was wondering how, with him coming out of his hole of late, how that correlates in your mind, how how you feel it correlates with the um, COVID response of Joe Biden, how he's doing the COVID response as we perceive it. I think uh, there's something that's happened to George Bush Jr. And I don't know if it's from his experience painting, from his friendship, somewhat distant but real, with Michelle Obama. But for some reason, he's moved a little bit away from an either-or view of the world. His view was you're with us or you're with the terrorists. You're with us or you're against us. But that was always based on foreign policy and not so much domestically. So I don't think that he's changed that much necessarily that he also uses certainty as a defense against anxiety. But he can see that people get sick. He actually has the capacity that Donald Trump does not, which he has a capacity for empathy and for feeling the pain of other people. He won't talk about it that much, but he's aware of it. And then when you're painting, you lose yourself in the face and in the figures of the subjects that you're painting. And he just came out with a book of paintings of immigrants. I mean, this is a man who has changed and grown. And I think that it's possible to grow, even at an older age. 
It's good news. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Dr. Frank is a psychoanalyst and clinical professor at the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Science at George Washington University, the author of Trump on the Couch, as well as other books. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Ari in Eureka, California, listening on KGOE, one of our oldest and longest and most valued affiliates. Hey, Ari, what's up? I'm a small business owner with a retail shop, and we have events in our shop all the time. Of course, we haven't for the past year. And I've Mm -hmm. been announcing to our customers that we will be resuming events late summer, early fall, but you must wear a mask and you must bring your vaccination card. And I've had really good response to this, except, of course, the one person who emailed me and said, but didn't you know there's aborted baby parts in the uh, in the vaccine? <laughs> I know. I know. And, and so I wrote her a lovely note back and explained some true information, even cited the Vatican had put out a statement on whether or not it was ethical to take the vaccine. And of course, she wrote me back and said, but didn't you know the Pope is in league with Satan? Right. So, right. so this some is, people this you just can't have, reach. Uh, I know. Overwhelmingly, though, I've had great response to this, you know, because my customers want to be safe, too. Mm-hmm. They're generally an older demographic. They want to be safe. So, mm-hmm. so, yeah, that's going to work. I, I'm fascinated by your having already, you're already reaching out to your customers and saying that you're going to require proof of vaccination to come into your business. Is that on your website? Did you send that out as an email? When did you reach out to people? And tell me about that. I have a newsletter that goes out two to three times a month, and and I'm Mm -hmm. not requiring it to just come into my business for five minutes to buy something and leave. But if you're going to stay here for a three-hour event, yeah, Mm -hmm. you need to be vaccinated. And for the mask holes who show up with the silly gators that don't work, I'm making them double mask. I mean, we all need to do this. I don't want to get on a plane until the airline tells me that they're requiring vaccination cards. Exactly. And I think this is going to be the new competitive advantage. All right. Thank you for the call. That was spectacular. Good on you. Let's just get right down to it. There is a calculus. There is a logic here that is being played out by the Republican Party against the American people. Part of it is coming out of Donald Trump's visceral hatred of Joe Biden, who beat him like a drum in the last election. 
And Trump has been seeking revenge for that ever since the election, when it became obvious that Joe Biden had won the election. But part of it now even goes beyond that, and it's being embraced generally by the, as far as I can tell, by the entire Republican Party. And it goes something like this. If Trump and Fox and the Republican Party can convince people that they shouldn't get vaccines, that maybe there's something dangerous about them, maybe we should be worried about them, oh my God, blood clots, you know, Bill Gates chips in them, whatever. If they can convince people not to get vaccine, or you don't need the vaccine, this is just as bad as flu, it's just, it's no big deal. If they can convince people not to get the vaccine, then we don't hit the 75 to 95% vaccinated, and we don't know what that threshold is yet. But we do know that it's probably north of 80% of everybody has to be vaccinated in order to have herd immunity. Herd immunity is where enough people are immune to the disease that even if one or two people get it, it doesn't spread through the community anymore. It stops epidemics and pandemics. So if they can convince enough people not to get the vaccine, they can keep us below that threshold and they can keep the vaccine and, and they can prevent Joe Biden, President Biden, from getting control of the virus. Number one, if they can prevent Biden from getting control of the virus, the disease, as long as the virus is still a factor, as long as people are still freaked out and afraid to go to restaurants or bars or whatever, as long, you know, if they can keep the virus a freak out thing for us, then the economy is still crippled. And here we come to part number three in this grand Republican plan. If they can keep Joe Biden from reopening the economy, then the same thing that happened to Donald Trump and the Republicans in 2020 will happen to the Democrats in 2022 and 2024. The party in power when the economy is in the tank is the party that loses. Right now, that's the Democrats. This is their plan. Keep the virus alive. Keep the economy sputtering and win in the 2022 midterm elections and win in the 2024 election. It is totally brutal math, but hey, if you don't think they don't care, if you think that they care about people who might die as a result of this, then think about the half million people who've already died that didn't have to die. The entire country of Taiwan has seen like 10 people die. I mean, countries that took this seriously, it's a whole completely different thing. In Australia, the whole country of Australia, no cases. In Perth, this, this one town, Louise and I have spent a lot of time in Perth. It's a beautiful, beautiful town, but it's way over on the west side of Australia. I mean, it takes five hours by airplane to get there from anywhere. It's on the Indian Ocean. It's not even on the Pacific Ocean. Two cases showed up in Perth. Two cases of the virus in the whole country. And they shut down Perth. They're shutting down Australia, not the whole country. But what happened was this air corridor that they had with New Zealand, because there hasn't been a case in New Zealand. People aren't wearing masks. People are going to, to football games, soccer games. They're doing all kinds of stuff. They had this bubble that they had created between Australia and New Zealand where free travel between the two. They shut that down. They are taking this completely seriously. Two cases in two countries.
And we're still averaging 65,000 new cases a day here in the United States because of the way Trump handled this thing. I mean, when you look at our village idiot, Ron Johnson, the, the Republican senator from Wisconsin, he said over the weekend, he said, why is this big push to make sure everybody gets a vaccine to the point where you better impose it? You're going to shame people. You're going to force them to carry a card to prove that they've been vaccinated. Just so they can stay in society. I'm getting highly suspicious of what's happening here. End quote. Right. It's just a public health emergency that's killed half a million Americans. That's no big deal for rich Republicans. So what do we do? What can you and I do? We can't introduce legislation requiring vaccine passports. We can't, I mean, you know, we can lobby for it. We can call our members of Congress. Just like, by the way, this morning, attorney Ben Crump, after the killing of Andrew Brown Jr., said, please call the offices of Kirsten Sinema, the Democratic senator from Arizona, and Joe Manchin, the Democratic senator from West Virginia. The only two Democrats who have not signed on to the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act, call their offices and ask them to sign on to it. 202-224-3121 gets to the Capitol switchboard. Just ask for them. You'll get connect you right with them. So we can do those kind of things. We can lobby like that, citizen lobbying. But I think I've found something that might be even better. I started over the weekend. I called a restaurant. I, I just, let's try this out. Let's just test this. Called a restaurant that we uh, actually we've we still get uh, carryout food from them regularly via Grubhub. It'll deliver it right to our door. It's one of our favorite restaurants. Called up this restaurant and I said, "So it looks like the economy is going to open back up. I'm really excited about this. I am so looking forward to coming back and actually sitting in your restaurant and eating one of your delicious meals." I love your uh, Shiro and your Masir Wat. This is an Ethiopian restaurant. I love this stuff. So you mentioned them, you know, what they sell so that they know that you're an actual customer, right? You're not just some troll. And they were like, oh, we're so looking forward to you coming back in. And I'm like, so all I need to know is I just want to make sure I will bring my proof of vaccination. I've got my card with my two vaccines on. I want to make sure that everybody that you're letting into the restaurant, you are asking them for proof of vaccination because I don't want to be in a restaurant sitting next to somebody who's not vaccinated who might have one of these weird variants that I might still be able to catch. Long moment of silence. Well, we're, we're welcoming people back and our staff is all vaccinated. Oh, you're, you're not requiring people to be vaccinated to get into the restaurant? Well, we haven't opened up yet, and we haven't made any decision. Okay, well, here, let me give you my name and phone number, and you call me if you decide that you're only going to let vaccinated people into the restaurant. And when that happens, I'll be there every Friday afternoon. Okay, fine, we'll take down your name and number. If we call enough retail stores, restaurants, bars, dance venues, karaoke clubs, you know, whatever, wherever you like to go and have a conversation somewhat like that so that this becomes a thing. Like back in the 80s when some restaurants started saying, we're a non-smoking restaurant, even though it wasn't the law. And suddenly they were seeing business increase because nobody wanted to be around smokers. I think this could work. What do you think? You think I'm crazy?
This is the Tom Hartman Program. You want to try it out? Make a few phone calls to some of your favorite restaurants or other places of business and report back to us over the course of the week what kind of response you're getting? I wrote about this on Saturday on HartmanReport.com. So if you want the links on this stuff or any of the information, or if you want to share this idea with somebody else, just go to HartmanReport.com and look at Saturday's rant. And uh, you can forward it. It, you know, it doesn't have any ads. It, there's no cost for it or anything like that. And it's where I'm putting my writing every single day, or at least six days a week. One of the stories that I tell, and this, this goes, in fact, we just had a caller who was, who was telling me that you know, she has a small business in California, and they put on events and she has already notified through her newsletter, her customer base, that if you want to come for one of our three-hour events, you are going to have to bring proof of vaccination. And she said, outside of the one person who wrote her a letter saying that there's baby parts in the vaccine and the Pope is working for Satan, outside of that, the overwhelming response from her customers has been positive. I want to tell you a story about this. This is in my article. Back in 1986, I had a dear friend. I still have a dear friend. He's a, he's a, a dear friend of mine. His name is Tom. He lives in Newton, Massachusetts. And he owned a restaurant. It was one of the top 10 restaurants in Boston at the time. It was called the Pillar House. It was really, really nice. Fine white linen tablecloth. Fine dining restaurant. And in 86, there were restaurants that... You know, some restaurants just allowed smoking anywhere. Some had four smoking sections and non-smoking sections. But there was literally no such thing as a non-smoking restaurant in the United States. And my friend Tom said, that's it. I am going to turn my restaurant, which had been a family business. He, you know, he was the second or third generation running this family business. He said, I'm going to turn this restaurant into an, an entirely non-smoking restaurant. No smoking in the restaurant, no smoking in the bathrooms, no smoking in the bar. So that this extraordinary quality food that my chefs are preparing, and, and the Pillar House had some of the best food I'd ever had, so that this extraordinary food can actually be tasted and smelled by my patrons. He made the entire restaurant non-smoking. We talked about it a lot before he did it. He wasn't seeking my advice. He was basically telling me what he was going to do, but we had a lot of conversations about it. And I thought, you know, he's going to lose business. And what happened was the Associated Press picked up the story. It went national. Restaurants all over Boston started going non-smoking. His business, it used to take a, you know, a week to get a reservation at, at that restaurant. It took two, three weeks. As I'm recalling, I'd have to you know, ask him specifically. But, but what happened was over the course of the next year or so, his business expanded substantially because people wanted, I mean, yeah, there were some smokers who were really pissed off and they called up and leave nasty grams or they would say, I'll never again step foot. And, you know, and Tom's response was, well, you know, I'm sorry to see you leave, but. You know, the big deal in marketing and advertising, I used to teach marketing. I, you know, I've owned two ad agencies in my life, and I used to teach marketing for the American Marketing Centers. And I used to do marketing consulting for companies, advertising and marketing consulting for companies like Carnival Cruise Lines and American Airlines and American Express and Scientific Atlanta and Sony and Serta. And uh, these were all companies that were clients of ours, of the National Security Agency, the NSA, <laughs> the U.S. Army did a lot of work for a lot of these companies. And the question that I would always ask when somebody was trying to put together a marketing campaign was, what's your unfair competitive advantage? What is the one thing that you can do that your competitors are not willing to do or can't do well or don't know how to do or won't bother doing? What is it that you have that they don't have? 
And nine times out of 10, that thing becomes what you build your marketing campaign around. And that's what Tom had done with not smoking in his restaurant. I'm telling you, within six months, this is my prediction. I may be wrong on this. I may be completely wrong on this. But if the Republicans continue this effort to prevent America from hitting herd immunity, if they continue this effort to prevent Americans from feeling safe when we go into restaurants or when we go into bars or whatever, and I'm telling you, this weekend, you know, on Saturday, we had one of my kids and, and spouse and two grandkids and the spouse's parents. We had a bunch of people in my house, first time in over a year. And I felt very uncomfortable, <laughs> but everybody was vaccinated except the two little kids. But I do not want to walk into a store, whether it's a, a you know, a, a furniture store or a restaurant or whatever. I don't want to walk into a store if they're letting people in who are not vaccinated. I want to walk into a store where at the front door, they're asking to see my card. And I'm telling you, there's a whole bunch of us out there like that, just like there were a whole bunch of non-smokers in the 1980s who were desperately hoping that some restaurant would ban smoking completely. And my friend Tom did it, and it worked out really well for him. And I think if we start calling places of business and saying, I will come I will patronize you again regularly when you require everybody in your store, including your employees, obviously, but all your customers to have proof of vaccination. You're I think we can make something Tom happen. Program. And you can do it with a couple of simple phone calls. Let, in fact, do it and let me know what happens. I think we can blow up this Republican effort to screw with the economy. Dominic in Broadview, Illinois. Hey, Dominic, what's up? I actually made a covid vaccine passport out of my card that they furnish you office depot or staples will laminate the card for free yeah i actually heard about it and i called them and they're like yeah they do do it but what they do is they make a copy of the card so they don't burn the original sometimes when you laminate something sometimes it could get damaged so they make a mm -hmm. copy and they do laminate it took a hole punch i punched a hole in the top took a lanyard and boom you don't have to get the fancy kits that use heat lamination where you take, you know, special plastic that shrinks and melts to itself and run it through a heat machine. There are laminating kits that are like, you know, eight bucks, you know, that you can you can find online or you can buy at your local office supply store where you get these sheets of plastic that basically have a layer of glue on one side. You peel off the protective layer and it exposes the glue. You put the, the card on it. And then you put another piece of plastic that's got that layer of glue on it. And then you just trim it with a pair of scissors around the edges. I think that's great that you did it. And I hope everybody's doing something very much like what you're doing. Robert in Portland. Hey, Robert, what's on your mind today? Thanks for listening to X-Ray FM. You had said Republicans are trying to stop the herd immunity. And I was wondering, how do you hinder herd immunity? Isn't that kind of like a natural process? Uh, no, it's not. Herd immunity is not something that happens. Herd immunity is a phrase that did not even exist until the 1950s. And it is used to describe when 
you reach, in fact, it was first applied to the polio vaccine, when you reach a percentage of people who have been vaccinated and are therefore immune to a disease so that that disease no longer travels easily through a population. And it varies yeah, from disease to disease. For measles, it's got to be 97% because measles is so insanely contagious, whereas with some of the other diseases, well, you know, measles, mumps, it's far lower. The Spanish flu didn't require a vaccine and that got, you know, they reached herd immunity within there two was, years and it was but no, no we didn't reach herd immunity within two years, Robert. What happened was they mutated. There's no evidence that there was herd immunity that was achieved with the Spanish flu. I realize this is a canard that the anti-vax people are pushing. Just think about this for a minute, just with your logical brain. We have every year flus that we can identify. This is the H5N1. This is the H3N2. This is so every every year there are we have a predominant strain. The next year that strain is no longer predominant, and there was no herd immunity. There was no 30, 40, 50 percent of people who got that vaccine or who got that flu virus. The flu virus is seasonal. It's a completely different thing than COVID, which is not seasonal. Polio was not seasonal. Some viruses are seasonal, some are not. I realize the anti-vax people are trying to promote this whole, oh, we had herd immunity with the flu in 1918. It's BS, Robert. I'm not anti-vax. Right now, what we have is Operation Warp Speed, which was funded by taxpayer dollars. And so we're getting the taste of these vaccines for free. But we're already witnessing these pharmaceutical companies not handing over the vaccine for free to poor countries, primarily because they're not granting, they're not, what's happening is, is they're, they're not signing on to the immunity release. They, that's why Pfizer and all these other places are not releasing their vaccine to these poor countries. So the slippery slope here is what I do not believe that's true, Robert. I saw that on a website from an anti-vaxxer, but I've not seen that in any reputable news report. What I'm seeing is that most of these countries cannot afford to buy these vaccines. What the pharmaceutical company is doing is asking them to put their military bases as collateral for this. Are you not? I mean, I'm, I'll send no, you the link. No. I'm not just making this up. Yeah, now, you know, I don't, you know, Robert, I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole. Yes, we should be. I think that we need to be blowing up the intellectual property laws with regard to these vaccines. I really do. Whether that means paying off the companies or not, you know, that's arguable. I think the U.N. should play a role in this. And yes, there are vaccine companies that are trying to make money off this. And of course, they're trying to limit their liability. Those are not the issues. The issue is we need to get as many Americans vaccinated as possible. Period. Full stop. And then the world. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. By the way, just to add to my argument for encouraging your favorite local business, businesses have the right to do this, right? You can put a sign out that says no shoes, no shirt, no service. You can also put a sign out that says no COVID card, no service, right? You're going to get a few people who are going to say, rah, 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 but you know, screw them. It was to say, you know, you can't smoke in here, for example. And now, now you have the force of law in most cases. But if you're not discriminating against somebody based on their religion or their race or their gender, you may discriminate based on their behavior. You can't come into this store naked. You can't come into this store without a mask. Now, the European Union just announced that they're going to allow American tourists this summer. Isn't that cool? Except that you have to have proof of vaccine. The Europeans don't want to let us in without it. I'm telling you, no matter how hard the Republicans try to prevent America from reaching herd immunity so that Joe Biden can make the economy work again, no matter how many BS little, hey, what about, that they throw up, it ain't going to work. Just like my friend Tom with his restaurant in Boston, you know, it's like people are going to say, no, no. Anyway, Dr. Frank, you're still with us. Everything's good? I'm still with you. Everything's good. Okay, Okay. great. Jonathan in Portland, Oregon, you are on the air with Dr. Frank. Dr. Frank, I wanted to know your opinion of this. My assessment of what's going on psychologically with Trump supporters is exemplified in a quote by Charlie Chan, which is that ignorance is undefeatable in argument. I've seen close friends of mine from childhood that I think were bullied, and I think that they have found refuge in ignorance that's undefeatable. They've created a citadel of ignorance. And no matter what you do, they always win. They're impervious to reason. And I think it's a reaction possibly to feeling bullied or to feeling insecure or to feeling fear. And I just want to know your opinion about that. My opinion is the same as yours. It's related to having been bullied or being afraid and not wanting to know things. But this history is not just recent with Trump. It's a long history in terms of the know-nothing party from the turn of the last century, where people were proud to know nothing. That's how smart I am. That's what they would say. Then they would go on and talk about how successful they are. And Trump's father was very clear about that. More recently, when Trump was a kid, Trump's father had a brother Donald's uncle who went to MIT and he said, my brother's very smart, but he doesn't have any money like I have. He doesn't know what he's doing. He invents things and thinks about things and he's a smart guy. But I mean, that doesn't do anything for him. So there's a sense of pride and power in being ignorant. But the problem with it also is that people who are ignorant are not as ignorant as you think or as I think. I actually think that the people we say who are ignorant, like mass deniers and science deniers, do know a lot, but they don't know things that are true. 
So mm-hmm. that's the part that becomes even more of a problem because the people who watch Fox News know a lot. They know what Fox News said. They remember it. They think about it. So they're not ignorant in the traditional sense of somebody who's never read or can't, you know, can't spell or doesn't know anything. They know a lot of things. And the problem is how to deal with people who know a lot that's very different from you. And again, I can only say that the best way, it's going to have to be very slow. It's going to be trickle up rather than trickle down. And that means trickling up with individual connections with your friends and family and listening to them and talking with them about what they're worried about and not arguing about it, but seeing what it is that you can agree about. I mean, people, we may share similar fears that we come at the solutions for them from different perspectives. And there are certain hot button issues that lead to uh, rage reactions, like you're saying, of setting up all the walls and the citadels, and then there's no way to have a conversation. So I do think we're in a dangerous time where we're more divided in a certain way that is really very powerful. I think there's always been a history of divisions from way before the Civil War. There were divisions. I live in the swamp right now, Washington, D.C., and the divisions that went on when they were writing the Constitution were that they didn't want my city where I live to be a state because they were afraid of too much influence from local residents on national government. So we have no influence rather than any. We have none. We have no senators, no Congress, no governor, nothing. So I think that fear has always been there, and it's become to a head with the Trump administration. And unfortunately, you would think that COVID could unite us more because there's a common thing that everybody's afraid of getting sick, and that hasn't done the trick. Michelle in Van Nuys, California. Hey, Michelle, what's on your mind? I did the accounting for a cancer charity here in Los Angeles, and I wanted to say that Mm -hmm. they're already have been doing mRNA research and treatment for cancers for a number of years, because we deal with USC Norris, UCLA Johnson, and City of Hope. I heard lectures more than five years ago from directly from the doctors. We'd have private lectures about the research they were doing, and certain cancers adapt and change so frequently they couldn't do anything by normal treatment because the cancer would keep coming back, and they were able mm-hmm. to treat it by doing mRNA to bring in the things they needed to combat the cancer and kill the cancer cells. That is spectacular. I, you know, I, I had heard that. I read one piece that said that this technology had been actually around for about 20 years, but it had always been considered kind of marginal and experimental. I read another piece suggesting that there were several of these kinds of vaccines that were being tested against cancers. I know uh, my, my wife, Louise, after she had breast cancer, she volunteered for a vaccine, cancer vaccine study. Kind of the downside, the unfortunate thing is they never told her you know, even after the study was over and the study failed, uh, the, the, the vaccine didn't appear to be effective. They never told her what the vaccine was, so we don't know if it was mRNA or what. Been doing it for treatment, especially for a lot of the blastomas and things that, that just adapt mm-hmm. so well. Can Is that the one that they're using now for the glioblastoma, the, the brain cancer that killed uh, Ted Kennedy and, and uh, Joe Biden's son, uh, Bo? Um, I don't think it was from those facilities. I think it was from another location, but they're all doing, they all talk to each other at all the different facilities and all of them, they want to promote their research. So you can always go online and I'm sure they're going to have a list of doctors that are doing a number of different kinds. And if, if somebody ever does get cancer, it behooves them to go and check out 
if they're near a local facility to find out if there's any trials or research going on that they may be a candidate to enter into it. Right. Although, you know, yeah. there's an upside and a downside to that. A friend of the family, shall we what? say, had yeah. a, a cancer and they were doing a trial and the trial killed him. They tried an experimental drug on him and he was dead for, uh, within a week. That was the point at which they were just starting to figure out, oops, but he was going to die anyway. I mean, you know, he was he was months from dying, and instead it just became a much shorter period of time. But so I'm all in favor of these trials. Uh, you know, our family, like I said, Louise did it. There was a young girl who was, you know, she was a childhood cancer blastoma, and she had, uh, she then became a spokesman for, for all mm-hmm. of this because she was like six years out from having any sign of the cancer after being part of his treatment. There's That's a great. lot of things. I think, out there you know, sort of like exciting. the space program brought us all these technological leaps. I don't know if it coincided with or it helped encourage things like the transition from transistors to integrated circuits to large scale integration, all these other kinds of technological advances. I suspect that this virus, this coronavirus, this unique virus that the human race has never been exposed to, that we're now having to come up with new and innovative ways to deal with, is going to spark a medical innovation that probably I won't live long enough to to see, you know, an actual, hey, you know, you've got so-and-so cancer here, let me give you a shot, you'll be just fine, and we'll deal with it the way that we deal with antibiotics and bacterial infections. I'm very hopeful. Let me let me put it that way. Michelle, thank you. Thanks for that detail. That's, uh, it's, it's always great to have actual details of things. Betty in Chicago. Hey, Betty, what's on your mind? Earlier you spoke of the uh, vaccine and the companies that have the patent to the vaccine. And I think you, I think you said also that that means mm-hmm. that poor countries who didn't have the fundings wouldn't be able to get the vaccine. So the question I ask is, if this virus is so detrimental and it's killing people and we've got to get vaccinated to the point where they're giving it free here, and then they get a, we allow them to, uh, I don't know what the law is, to get a patent on the vaccine. So what are we saying, that poor countries that can't afford it will die out? Or if the U.N. doesn't get the money to pay for it, then how dangerous is this virus if we're letting countries that can't afford to get vaccinated do without? Did I get that wrong? No, no, you got it right, Betty. This is the great moral conundrum that the world is facing right now. You know, a number of people have spoken out on it. It's not that the country doesn't have the patent. It's that the companies are not allowing other companies to make the same drug because they're saying we've got the patent. We're the only company that can make it. There are lots and lots of vaccine manufacturers all around the world. And these vaccines are not such radical new technologies that an existing vaccine factory couldn't be converted to make a COVID vaccine. But because they hold the patents, they hold the ability to prevent other people from making what they're making. And that's why, on the one hand, there's a call for, okay, if we're going to continue this patent system that has basically become a giant subsidy. I mean, when this country was founded, you know, 240 years ago, patents were a possibility. They put it into law in the 1790s that patents lasted for three years. Now you've got patents that last 17 years, 20 years. You can renew patents. You've got trademarks like, you know, the mouse, the Mickey Mouse thing. It's like 90 years or something like that. They've become basically subsidies for giant corporations. One group is saying, 
we need to just blow up the patent laws. We need to have an, you know, basically an international body that does this, or we need to get the largest countries in the world who are kind of enforcing this, mostly the United States, Germany, the United Kingdom, Russia, and China, to get those countries together and say, okay, we're going to change the way that we deal with patent laws, at least with regard to vaccines, or at least with regard to vaccines that have to do with pandemics. That's one strategy. The other strategy is to say, okay, these companies own the patents. They're expecting to make $50 billion in profits over the next couple of years. Poor countries can't afford to buy the uh, vaccines from them at the prices they're charging. So we will simply give the companies the money. They'll give us the vaccines. We'll hand them off to the poor countries. Those are the two kinds of options that I'm hearing right now. And I think it's, a, it's an important debate. Betty, thank you for the call. And thanks for asking the question. I think it's a very important debate for us all to be having and a conversation for us all to be having. And, you know, I hope that, you know, moving forward, we can do more about it and with it. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Mark in Salem, Oregon, you're on the air with Dr. Frank. 20-second setup and a question. I, I was watching several news programs over the weekend about vaccine hesitancy, and they all had the same formula. They start out growing hesitancy about vaccines. Then they talk about X number of people have had this bad reaction and someone here died. And then they talk to a professional or or a legislator or a public official and they say, well, to get more people vaccinated, we need education. And then, so this whole long article, two or three minutes, and not once in any of these articles did the station or the news program state what the tiny fraction of 1% you have of having a bad reaction from a vaccine. Other parts of the newscast, they talk about millions of people being vaccinated, but on this part of the newscast, they talk about the exceptions, and they never tell you what your chances are. What is the responsibility of the news organizations to give us the true facts? And isn't the mainstream media actually increasing and promoting this hesitancy by not telling us what our low chances of having a bad reaction is. I think, yes, they are. They're increasing anxiety, increasing anti-vax feelings, the mainstream media. I am not don't have enough power to deal with the mainstream media, but they do need to be more responsive and responsible because the percentage of infections is extraordinarily low. I think that they get more viewers if they scare people. And fear has always been part of American politics. I mean, the yellow journalism, William Randolph Hearst, it's always been there. Fear of communism, fear of germs. Now it's fear of vaccines and side effects of vaccines. Fear is the dominant thing, and it needs to be faced. Anxiety is reasonable to be nervous about COVID. Some people are even nervous about vaccines, and I understand that. People don't like to have foreign uh, substances put in their body, although they'll go and not question who bottled their uh, Budweiser. I just think it's really a problem, and the networks need to uh, grapple with it, and we need to write letters to them. I don't know how else to deal with it because they do sell more, get more viewers when they stoke fears. But you're absolutely right. The percentage of any kind of side effect that's negative, especially serious illness or serious side effects, is infinitesimal. Infinitesimal. 
And Rennie, uh, it just is. I'm, I'm sorry. Rennie I'm in uh, Reno, Nevada. You're on the air with Dr. Frank. Hey, Dr. Frank, in your educated right. professional right. opinion, you have been trained to analyze people's thoughts and behavior. My question is, what do you think is going on in the minds of the Republicans for the end game of the utopian United States? What is it supposed to look like in their minds, in your educated opinion? In my educated opinion, there's a shared fantasy that many Republicans have, which is not that different from the shared fantasy that slave owners had. I hate to say it, but there is a shared fantasy of purity, of white purity, and of, con- and of getting rid of contaminants. Contaminants include brown-skinned people, immigrants, black people, anybody who doesn't fit in to a united America. It's not that it's different from what went on in Germany to some extent, but the same idea is there. The fear that contaminants can never be part of the nation. And in in Germany, it was the Jews. I don't know what else they have in mind, but it really is about some form of purity. And if you're not pure, you need to live in a gated community to keep other people out. And there are more and more gated communities cropping up in this country, and they're very Republican. They're very white, and they're very dominated by fear. Best advice or thoughts on people for this period of transition? I think we need to know about the walls. I'm a child of the 60s, so I just found myself, when you asked that question, wanting to sing that song about up against the wall, you know, tear down the walls. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really yeah. think it's important to tear down the walls, mother, because you got to do it. There are walls, and we need to find what's on the other side and talk to them. Okay, I got it. I love it. Dr. Frank, thank you so much. It's always great having you on the program. Thank you so much for dropping by thank today. Thank you. My pleasure. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us, and that includes you more than ever. And consider calling your favorite stores and letting them know that you'll be happy to come back when they require everybody to show proof of vaccination before they can come in the store. I think we can create a movement. Be good to yourself and others. Tag your it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.